Every Saturday from 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific, you are tuned into America's Positive Radio talk show, David Essel Alive. David Essel in the box with you. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy day. Our toll-free number, 1-800-548-8255. 1-800-548-8255. Every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific, we rock the USA on XM Channel 246 with all positive news. Come from behind victories, ideas and steps that you can take today to make your life more powerful, more alive. Absolutely. We also stream for all of our friends that do not yet have their XM subscription. We stream absolutely free around the world at talkdavid.com. So let your friend and family members know who maybe do not have XM yet. They can listen to us at talkdavid.com. Broadcasting live out of Studio E, Los Angeles, California. 22 years in talk radio and counting. Coming up in a couple minutes, Jamie McCall, who I am so fired up to interview, living the high life without drinking champagne, decorated former Navy officer who has had quite a life, and she's going to share it with us, uh, how she's overcome challenges, what she's doing now to move into the second, uh, second part of her whole existence. And also, we're going to talk to her about, oh, my God, those sex scandals in the military. What's up? And are they ever going to be truly handled? Jamin McCall coming up in a couple minutes. Don't forget that you can can listen to this show right now live on your iPhone. Go to talkdavid.com. Click on the XM link. You can join the text club. You'll get a text sent to your phone. You can listen on your iPhone absolutely free. And join us at David Essel Live on Facebook. Like us. Seven days a week, free tips to inspire you to higher levels of existence. 1-800-548-8255. Jamie McCall, living the high life without drinking champagne. Decorated former Navy officer on the air, on the line right now. Jamie, welcome to the show. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. What a great platform you have here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So how did you get into the Navy? Well, uh, how I got into the Navy is via NROTC, via Oregon State University. I did the ROTC route, you know, where you go to college and you you train at the same time, and then you get a commissioning upon graduation. But the reason, um, which is I think what you're really asking me, is because I have a long family history of naval service, and my uncle was your your stereotypical top-gun naval aviator. And uh, matter of fact, his squadron was involved as consultants on the film Top Gun, He was my mentor, and I just watched him traveling the world and living this life, and uh, so I wanted to be the first female in my family to to become a naval officer, and so that's what I did. Greatest memory from being in the Navy is? Oh, man, there's so many. I miss it, actually. Um, Just being in that environment, you know, uh, in D.C. was pretty exciting, being, being in the political arena, and then down in Puerto Rico, being in the operational and training arena, all the people and the travel and the things that you're involved in, it, it was just, it was all pretty exciting for me. So I couldn't pick just mm. one. If you were going to do it again, life again, would you do the same thing that you've done? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. With, uh, with a few different choices along the way. But, you know, I can't, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I almost can't even say that because then yes. I wouldn't be where I am right now talking to you either. So I, I don't know. That's a tough question. Yeah. When 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 did you see alcohol in your life becoming a challenge? 
Uh, you know, the honest answer to that question is probably with my very first drink. You know, um, that also runs in my family, and I had a proclivity. And, um, you know, I started drinking on my own probably at the age of 15. And I never really, I, I never was a normal drinker, you know, where you could just have a half a glass of wine or one beer and just enjoy yourself. I always drank to get drunk from the very, very beginning. So it was an issue for me, for me from the very beginning. Um, can you recall, Jamie, the first time that it got you into trouble other than hangovers, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, uh, let's see. Well, it's um, probably in college. Um, you know, there's a couple of date rape scenarios where I blacked out and was taken advantage of. And, you know, that's that's no fun. But I couldn't. And matter of fact, one time it was a, a marine option a midshipman that I was really close with, who was my, my mentor and my squad leader. And um, we were really good friends and we went to a ball together. And then that night, you know, we ended up, I woke up in the bed naked and I said, you know, what the heck is this? And he was really apologetic. Um, but I decided not to report it just because we were good friends and I didn't want to ruin his career or his potential career over something that was also partly my responsibility and my fault. I mean, if I had not gotten that drunk where I didn't have any, any of my faculties or any of my judgment, and then it wouldn't have happened. You know, I could have prevented it. Right. So, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wow. Some humbling experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, college college is a time for exploration and fun, and, you know, most people do the whole binge drinking thing. The problem is you're supposed to grow out of it once you get out of college. <laughs> yeah. yes. And, yes, yes. And yes. I never did. <laughs> yeah. did it, being, being in the military, is that encouraged to drink? Yeah, that's part of the culture that I think is a problem, you know, especially when you're stationed out in remote locations where, where there's not a lot else to do. Um, which was part of the problem in my uh, my second duty station down in Puerto Rico. We were out in the middle of the island, and and there's really not a whole lot to do. So it's kind of it's also kind of a bonding thing that you do with your unit, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But it does get out of control, and um, you know the military does try. I mean, I will give them that they have a they always have a command DAPA, which is your drug and alcohol advisor on a command. That's their job, and. Um, you know, they try to keep it under control as best they can, but yeah, it still is a problem. It always has been, and I'm not sure if that'll ever change, really. You know, we look in in, in the, the U.S. population, uh, depending on the statistics you look at, Jamie, anywhere from 20 to 30 percent of the U.S. Po population has a challenge with alcohol. Right. Uh, you know, and, and you mentioned the word binge drinking. You know, so many people are so uneducated in our country in regards to what alcoholism is. And someone could drink once every four months and be a, an alcoholic because on the day that they choose to drink, they can't stop at two or three or four drinks. And so they'd be classified as a full blown alcoholic if they drank once every four months. Absolutely. So, I worked with a guy. um I worked with a guy who was in, it fell in exactly that category. He would literally drink maybe once a year or even every two years. And the rest yeah. of the time, he wasn't working any kind of program or, or anything. He was just trying to stay abstinent and just what we call white-knuckling it, you know, just trying right. not to drink and go to church and that kind of thing. But he wasn't really fixing the core problem. So when he did drink, he just became a big hot mess, ended up in a hospital or in jail. He always ended up getting arrested. And he was about to lose his marriage. I mean, it was a big problem. And but yeah. it only happened once a year, so it's like you know people don't understand 
it's there's so many different categories of of alcohol and substance abuse and yes. um you know i even had that stereotype myself which is why i think i was in denial so long of the homeless mom under a bridge with it, drinking out of a brown paper bag right and you know that's just not the right. case i mean everybody has to make the judgment for themselves whether or not it's a problem but it's pretty easy to figure it out if it's if it's causing you problems in your life in any way financially emotionally relationships uh work uh, legal issues, then you probably need to address it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what, Jamie, I'm going to be a little stronger. You damn well need to address it. <laughs> yeah. Not, not probably, babe. Um, but you know, but in our work, I, you know, I work with a lot of professionals and they'll come in and they will be in such denial where they'll say, you know, I mean, having a hangover is part of the quarterly sales meeting or, or going out with the girls on every other Saturday night and waking up really exhausted on Sunday and not present for our children is part of being social and they have a hard time seeing that's also part of the alcoholic life <laughs> jamie mccall right. is with me right now uh, jamie we're going to a quick break we're going to be coming back living the high life without drinking champagne decorated former navy officer we're going to talk more about her recovery more about the sex scandals in the military more about things that will help you get clear in your life. More information on Jamie at our website, talkdavid.com. You can look at the guest and see her link. I'm David Essel. Stay right there. Florence from Florence and Machine, one of my favorite songs that she has ever done. David Essel in the box, 1-800-548-8255-800-548-8255, America's positive radio talk show celebrating 22 years on the air. My guest, Jamie McCall, decorated former Navy officer, living the high life without drinking champagne. Jamie, just before the break, we were talking about the military, we we're talking about the acceptance of alcohol, the high level of alcoholism. And in, in my guesstimation, and, I, and I, I threw out a number and I wanted to get your feedback on this, in the U.S. population in general, 20 to 30 percent of people really do struggle in some way. It could be daily. It could be once a year, as we are sharing with alcohol. What do you think that percentage is in the, the military? Oh, it, it's probably a little higher in the military only because of the stress levels that you deal with just by being in the military. And that's the that's where all the problems come from in the first place, I believe, with addiction is just not knowing how to deal with anxiety and stress and, and um, you know, things that are lacking inside yourself. You look to for relief elsewhere through substance. So I, I'd say it's, it's probably a little bit higher. That would just be yeah. a guess. I'd have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, 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 and 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 you had mentioned that like with every, on every base, there's uh, an individual who's a drug and alcohol counselor or someone in charge of it. Um, but there's got to be a huge stigma in the military about asking for help with something like that. When, as you mentioned, and it's very well documented, that alcohol is a bonding device for many people in the military. So I can't imagine that person is very busy anywhere. <laughs> I hate to laugh about it, but I'm just being honest. <laughs> Oh, no, no, he, he or she is always very busy, um, you know, because you also have to take into account, we, a lot of these, 
a lot of the enlisted folks, you know, in, in the Navy, it would be the sailors that come in, are, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, and, and those are the years when they are, you know, exploring with those kind of things, and they're, they're growing up right there on the job, you know, so they have to learn how to, you know, about balance and how to control themselves and not go too crazy, so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of leadership needed in that area, and that's what the, um, the officer, which is what I was, and the chief, chief ranks are for. And that's usually what the drug and alcohol counselor is, is a, a chief rank or a very high-ranking um, enlisted petty officer. How did you cover up your alcohol use in the military? Well, um, I was able to for a while because uh, I was still really productive and, and I loved my job and I was, you know, um, I was getting a lot of things accomplished. And But, you know, once it, once, once I crossed that line and I became physiologically addicted, I was unable to hide it anymore. And that's when the problems really started. And that's when, you know, the Navy sent me to rehab in Virginia. And then um, because it just kept getting worse and I, I was literally physically dying and I was suicidal, uh, I ended up at Walter Reed Army Hospital in D.C. for a month living in a psych ward. And, you know, it just all, it was like a two-year spiral. Um, those two years uh, when I lost control and I couldn't hide it anymore, it it just all went downhill, and I just, it's like I was fighting, you know, I was fighting the demons. I was still trying to hide it, but everybody already knew. I mean, you know, it's it gets crazy. What was your what was your drink of choice, and when would you start drinking, and what was the volume per day? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, drink of choice, I didn't have one. It was whatever was available, wherever I was. If I was at a party, if it was beer or at the bar. Um, at home, I switched to vodka just because, you know, there's this there's this um, there's this thing that people say that you can't smell it if you drink a right. lot of vodka, which which of course is not true because I was drinking so much that it was seeping out of my pores. But yes. um, but yeah, I was up to at, at my worst when I was really really sick and and literally dying from alcohol consumption. I was up to about a gallon of vodka every four days, and that doesn't even count if I made it out to drink when I was out. That's just at home. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty insane. That is insane. And you spent a month in a psych ward. That must have been very interesting. Do you remember anything about that 30-day period? I remember everything about it. As a matter of fact, I, did, I dedicated an entire chapter in my book uh, to the psych ward just because I found it so fascinating. <laughs> uh, it's called um, Ward 54. That's the psych ward um, at Walter Reed. <clears throat> so chapter 8 is Ward 54. And I just basically write about my experience there and how much I learned about human nature in general and all the different characters I ran into and all the, the different problems they were in for. I mean, you know, I want to make a movie out of it. It was really fascinating. That's why I, I said my, my book is like a combination of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and uh, A Few Good Men and Girl Interrupted <laughs> all combined. Right, 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 right. Yeah. What was the, Jamie, what, what was the defining moment in the military when, when, they, when they, they, they said you've got to go, like, into rehab? What was the moment? What was the experience that woke them up? Well, when they caught me drinking on duty, basically, um, the EXO brought me into his office and said, you know, you've been reported, and of course I couldn't deny it, I had it on my breath, and they said, you know, you know, we know you've been working on this, and you've been trying to get it under control, but it just doesn't seem like you're able to, so we've offered you this before, and you turn it down, but now we really think you can't be in denial anymore, and you need to go to rehab, so it really was involuntary. I, See, the thing is, you talked about stigma before, and it's kind of a catch-22 because, you know, you're scared if 
you're scared if you don't ask for help when you know you're out of control and you're scared if you do ask for help because you, you're afraid that that's an admission and, and basically you're kissing your career goodbye by saying right. you have a problem. So I was stuck in this place of, I, you know, I just really didn't know what to do. Now, looking back, I know that they really were trying to help me and that if I had admitted voluntarily sooner and and gone as, as many times as I needed to go, perhaps I would have been able to get it under control and I, I would have been given a fair shot because they really did try to give me a fair shot. But see, in my mind, I was fighting these things because I had this, I had this, this image in my mind, this fear that, you know, if I did admit defeat, so to speak, that, you know, that I was kissing my career goodbye when really it was quite the opposite. If I admit it, admitted it sooner and asked for help, yeah. um, by law, according to UCMJ, they have to offer me help and give me that shot. So. Right. Now, now here, here's a question. So the awakening of the military to put you into rehab was when they were caught drinking on the job. But being put into rehab offers no guarantee of recovery. So when was your awakened moment where you took this seriously and actually did something about it from the inside, not just because you were forced to? Well, that was at the point when um, the XO called me into his office again after I'd you know, been to rehab and I'd been to the psych ward and I came back and I relapsed again. And, um, you know, like I said, I was literally physically dying. I was every once a week at least in an emergency room detoxing because I couldn't quit drinking on my own. If I tried to quit cold turkey on my own, within hours I was going into seizures. That's how physiologically sure. addicted I sure. was. So he pulled me into his office. He said, look, you know, we've done all we can. You're going to die on me, and I can't have that, and you need to go somewhere and go try and get sober. And um, you know, there were a lot of tears and a lot of crying and, on both ends, but he basically saved my life because me losing my own physical life wasn't enough. That wasn't bottom enough, which is uh, as insane as that sounds, and that's why they call this in, uh, insanity because that's exactly what it is. What really made me, my, my last shot was losing my Navy career. When he said, your career is over, we need you to resign. We'll give you an honorable discharge if you resign and just go somewhere and get yourself together and I really had no more fight in me so I just said okay mm. and and I you know I just basically resigned my commission and um I, I really surrender. had no other options you know it was either stop drinking or die I had nothing else yeah. I had I didn't have my Navy career you know I didn't I didn't have anything else so it's like you know what do I do I'm too weak to commit suicide I really had yeah. no fight in me left at all not even to commit suicide it was just my last point you know the surrender, Jamie, the absolute surrender. My guest, Jamie McCall, living the high life without drinking champagne. JamieMcCall.com. J-A-M-I-E-M-C-C-A-L-L. JamieMcCall.com. Coming back after these messages, visit TalkDavid.com for her website and more. I'm David Essel. Stay there. Feeling alive for the very first time with David Essel alive every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific. Our toll-free number, 
1-800-548-8255, 1-800-548-TALK. Six to nine Saturday, three to six Saturday, XM two forty six, streaming worldwide at talkdavid.com. We're gonna be going back to our guest Jamie McCall in just a moment here, talking about her recovery, her loss of her job from in the uh the military, uh due to alcoholism and her recovery and now uh, what she's going through, what she's doing, what she's up to as a spokesmodel, actress, recovery advocate, and more. I want to remind you, join our Facebook page, David Essel Alive. Like us on Facebook, David Essel Alive, seven days a week. We will be posting, as we have been, free tips and videos and quotes to help you become more inspired in life, as well as the websites for our guests that we have on the show Also, don't forget that every interview we do is archived. If you have friends that you really think could benefit from listening to Jamie McCall's interview with me tonight, at about 10 o'clock at night, all the shows of that Saturday are going to be up on our website at talkdavid.com. Hundreds upon hundreds of shows archived on the Internet. And the very last thing I'm going to mention is if you're really serious about achieving massive life change. You really owe it to join our Life Mastery Workshop coming up in just a couple weeks, July 27th to 28th. It's 10 hours with me in Fort Myers, Florida. You can join us in purpose. We have people, listeners on our show, flying in from around the country. I cannot wait to meet them. Why don't you join them? Fly in, drive in, be a part of us in person. Of course, all of the information on the Life Mastery Workshop is at talkdavid.com. If you don't want to fly in, you can also listen and watch and view us via Skype, be a part of the weekend workshop. Of course, all the information is at talkdavid.com. And it's not only 10 hours with me, but there's a 30-day follow-up program to make sure you create the life you want. We've been doing this for a very long time. Everything is 100% money back guaranteed. There is no risk. Only a reward. 1-800-548-8255. My guest, Jamie McCall, decorated former Navy officer, living the high life without drinking champagne. So, Jamie, just before the break, we were talking about honorable discharge due to alcoholism. How long did it take you after going through treatment again to really feel like your feet were back on the ground and you were living a life of recovery? I took me, I, I took about a, I took a full year and I worked the 12 steps and I worked about one step per month. And that's all I did for that whole year was, uh, I was in, you know, I remained celibate. I followed all the suggestions of the program. I had a sponsor that I worked with every day and I just really worked my butt off and I basically rebuilt myself, restructured myself from the inside out and I got back into fitness and, uh, just basically reintegrated my mind, body, and spirit together. And, um, so yeah, it took about, a, it took about a year <laughs> after I got out. But once I made it to the, I'd say the 60 day mark, because he had gone a lot of 30 days and then, and then fell off and 30 days and then fell off. When I made it to the 60 day mark, and especially when I made it to the 90 day mark, I saw a light at the end of the tunnel. I thought, holy crap, I might just be able to pull this off. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Oh, and now, now you're, I mean, you're doing a whole bunch of different stuff, actress, spokesmodel, recovery advocate, you're doing a lot of different things. Yeah, it's it's great. Um, You know, once I left Puerto Rico, I, I, you know, and I had nothing else. I said, okay, well, what is, what has been my dream other than the Navy? What can I do? And I wasn't married and I had no children. and And I thought, you know, when you lose everything and you've already faced death, 
it kind of gives you a courage that you never had before. So I just said, I'm moving to Hollywood. <laughs> and that's what I did. I mean, you know, and I've been following my dreams ever since. And, yeah, like you said, doing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, charity and spokesmodel work. And I work with veterans, and I published my book, and that's helping a lot of people. And um, I wanted to, I, I noticed that, you know, before I came on, you had this theme of sex going on the air here. And I, I wouldn't mind continuing that because I, I did write a lot about my sex life and its evolution in, in living the high life without drinking the champagne. So if you want to... If yeah, you want to go for it, on girl. That vein. <laughs> sure, we love talking sex on the show. Absolutely, awesome. Because you know, I I really don't think people talk about it enough in our culture. It's like we're so yeah. we're so used to violence, but sex is like still so taboo. It's so silly to me. Mm. But um, yeah. So I write a lot about it in my book because I think, especially being a woman drinker, um, you know, I went through the, this phase where I really had no boundaries. I had no self love, and I was very highly promiscuous. And um, it's not even so much the quantity as the quality of people that I was bringing home. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how familiar you are with how the military works, but fraternization is against the UCM, UCMJ, and it's illegal, basically. And, you know, I, I slept with a few enlisted men as an officer. That's a big no-no. And, you know, nobody that worked directly for me or usually was even in, a, in another service because I worked on a lot of joint service commands. But I'm just really real about the reason why I'm so honest and, and risk put myself at risk really for telling all of this is because it just goes to show how your lack of self-love and self-respect as as a woman could get you into trouble and you lose all sense of, of boundary of your your judgment goes you know and <clears throat> you really have to learn how to how to love and cherish yourself as again as a woman and now my boundaries are, I'm really good with boundaries and it's totally different and um, not to say that I, I mean, I did have a lot of fun. I'll just keep it real. I had a lot of fun. Yes, yes. But uh, there's still some things that I would not do again. There's some some people I would not sleep with and some situations I would not get myself into. I mean, I really put myself at risk and in a lot of danger unnecessarily. And now, today, I mean, you know, I would never put myself in those situations because I love myself too much. Hmm. And what about the sex scandal in the military? You know, um, the the from the cadets all the way up into the enlisted to the officers in the last six months, Jamie. It is as you well know, flooding the media. Well, I think stuff like that has always been going on. It's the same that what's just come out about the NSA. That kind of thing. My last duty station was a subsidiary of the NSA, so I'm kind of familiar with with all of that. Um, it's always been going on. I think what happens is is when something goes public, then it's kind of like a domino effect, and everything that's always been happening kind of just starts coming out. Um, but it's nothing new. Um, now, me personally, I never had, you know, I never had any experiences of, like, sexual harassment or anything like that. And you got to remember... Well, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You had the guy that had sex with you when you were passed out. Okay, well, that was when I was a midshipman. I wasn't yet commissioned. I was still in college. And yeah, like I said, there's a reason I didn't report that, and I, I'm very clear yeah. about that reason in the book, because I take, I take respons- 50% responsibility for that situation. No, I understand that, Jamie, but wait a second. Wait a second. I understand that. However, he was a mentor and your senior, correct? Correct. Okay, it's nonsense, honey. See, no, you're, that's you're the right. bullshit. Right. That's the bullshit in the military. That's absolute bullshit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're right, and, and he he did pay on a personal level. I mean, I completely cut off our friendship, and he 
he tried and tried and sent me cards and came and tried to apologize and um and he was completely cut off from my life from that point on and so he he was punished in that way on a personal level like i said it was my choice not to take it not to report it and take it you know public to the unit level i could have right. done that but that was my choice not to do that but i'm talking about as far as once i became professional after uh, after graduation and once i got my commission i never really experienced any of that and it and i was a a woman amongst mostly men i mean you know, it's it's really then um, now it's it's not so much, but then it was really unusual to have a female Navy officer. There weren't, you know, we were just hmm. being integrated. Um, so, well, well, do you think like like you know, with the cadets and all of that going on, it, you know, has is that is that ratcheted up for some reason, or is has it been like that for thirty or forty or fifty years, and just no one's reported it or no one's got caught? And we even have you know some of the officers running prostitution rings. So, hey, listen, Jamie, hold that thought. We're going to come back. Jamie McCall, jamiemccall.com, living the high life without drinking champagne. We're going to come back with Jamie, talk more about the sex scandal in the military and so much more. Go to our website to see more about Jamie, talkdavid.com, and all of our guests. And we are so glad that you've taken time to be with us here tonight. I'm David Essel. Stay right there. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Perfect little theme here. You know I want you. David Essel in the box. 1-800-548-8255. 1-800-548-8255. Every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific. XM, channel 246 and streaming worldwide at talkdavid.com. My guest, Jamie McCall. The name of the book, Living the High Life Without Drinking Champagne. Her website, jamiemccall.com. Check it out. For more information, Jamie, just before the break, we were talking about the whole scandal thing. And, and my question was, is has for some reason the abuse increased in the military or is it just people getting caught and exposed? Well, I, I'm assuming it's probably a little bit of both. You know, uh, you got to realize, you know, women serving in the military is a relatively new thing. And they're just the numbers are growing. So as the numbers grow and as people... You know, I, I, they, they've been some documentary. I can't remember the name of it about uh, women serving in Afghanistan. I think it was that reported that they had been raped and they were at some remote unit um, serving way over overseas over there, and and their command did not support them. And as a matter of fact, they got blacklisted in a way, um, and they lost their careers. So they did a documentary, and I've seen them on talk shows and such. I personally did not have that any of that happen to me, but I will say that um, you know I do think. As long as women continue to report it and, in a way, sacrifice themselves, there will be more accountability. And once there's more accountability, that that will start to dissipate. You know, you just have to change the culture. It's been a good old boys club for the longest time. And it's it's changing slowly but surely. But, you know, you, you, you know it's kind of like training a dog. You have to teach them, you know, how to behave. Yeah, yeah, now, but is you know, I, I always wonder when, when we have like a, um, you know, an institution like this that for hundreds of years certain things have been accepted, like I wonder if it's going to be a really slow curve of growth or does something really horrendous have to happen for for a radical instant change? 
No, yeah, you know, if you look at if you look at the military as as a as a business, it's always been on the cutting edge, and that's culturally as well. And I think um, you know we're the pioneers. When you join the military, you're the pioneers of the culture. And I really think that it is changing. It is getting better. And yeah, sure, there's going to be there's going to have to be some horror stories, and there's going to be some women that lose their careers or go through some bad things. But as long as they're brave enough to report it, we can we can fix it. And mm. that's the thing. You have to have people that have the courage to come out and say, you know, this is not acceptable. Yeah, yeah, and and be willing to lose their careers over it. That's right. Until, like I said, until there's enough accountability and enough exposure that it, they're not at risk to lose their career anymore. And that's mm-hmm. changing, too. Now, I don't think it's going to be a decade-long process. Like I said, I really believe it's changing now. It's changing mm-hmm. as we speak. Um, as long as people continue to, you know, put their brave foot forward and hold themselves accountable, leadership as, as well, or, and, and more so, as a matter of fact. Um, yeah, yes. I, I don't think yes, it's yes, going to yes. take... Yeah. Hey, Jamie, final thought, 60 seconds, final thought on being successful for our listeners, ideas and thoughts that might help our listeners listening to us right now that want to change. Maybe they're struggling with addiction or weight or something else. What is it that you could share with us that you've learned that might help millions right now? Well, the biggest thing that I had to learn, which really sounds really basic, is that you really have to learn how to love yourself. And if you're at a, such a low point that you can't find any way at all to love yourself, then lean on somebody who does. And everybody can find somebody who loves them. Whether if, if you don't have a good family, then go into a group situation like with the 12-step program. If you don't want to do that, go to church. If you don't want to do that, you know, there's all kinds of groups of friends and people out there who will love you enough until you learn how to do it for yourself. And that's, the, that's what... That's what kicked it off for me. I really had no love for myself, so I had to lean on my family's love and my friend's love until I rebuilt myself and learned how to love myself again. And that's where you need to start. It's really basic, you know, and that means fitness. That means some kind of spiritual program. That means getting your thoughts in check, you know. Um, Mm. But, yeah, lean into somebody else's love until you can learn how to love yourself. I think that would be the biggest message I could leave with everybody. I love it. I love it. JamieMcCall.com. JamieMcCall.com. Living the high life without drinking champagne. I knew you would rock, Jamie. Uh, Thanks so much, David. Uh, I have loved this interview with you, and I remember the first time just reading a snippet about you. I said, oh, my God, this chick will rock on the show. So I'm so glad we could do it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. And don't forget, Jamie, let your friends know who might have missed this show that they can listen to the archive of your beautiful story later on tonight, okay? Absolutely. I'll be shooting it out to everybody. Okay. Have a beautiful night. All right. Rock and roll, David. You bet. (laughs) Bye-bye. Our toll-free number, what a great interview. What a great, jamiemccall.com. Check it out. What a great interview. 1-800-548-8255. Let me jump on something that she said, self-love. Wow. And for men or women listening right now that go, oh, my God, another one of those very wary, esoteric answers to life's challenges, it really isn't. You know, self-love, self-respect. It's like um, forms of self-love come in all, all different looks and hats and dresses and clothes, right? So it's, you know, am I abusing my body or am I taking care of my body is a form of self-love. What am I watching listening to, reading, 
that's a form of self-love. If we're really, you know, hell-bent on reality shows and news shows and all that, then that's the opposite of self-love. And I'm not saying you can't watch something periodically, occasionally, if that's entertainment to you. But when we wrap our world around media that is gossip-filled or negative, as so much of the news is, uh, con- uh, you know, where, where everyone has a conspiracy theory about this or that. That's not self-love when you're when you're wrapping your world around that. It's just absolutely not self-love. Who we hang around with is a form of self-love. You know, do you hang around with people that are uplifting and positive? Do you have your friends who are gossipers and backstabbers? Then you can say, how much do I love myself? That's so simple, isn't it? A lot of times we hang around people with negative attitudes and who put others down because we want to be part of the in crowd, the group, the cool people. When in actuality, it's, I'll go as far as saying, an act of self-hatred. Just like watching and listening to all kinds of negative television radio shows is a form of self-hatred. Oh my God, who we hang out with. That could be the difference between us moving forward in life or slipping backwards in life. How we treat our mind, body, and spirit, crucial. And I'm giving you all these examples because I want you to do a self-evaluation right now as you're listening to the show. I want you to evaluate, honestly, get out of denial and get into an honest evaluation of who we hang out with, what we watch, what we listen to, how we treat our body, the type of foods we eat, the amount of exercise we do, the spiritual path. You know, for some people, the spiritual path is simply sitting in nature. Well, and if that's all your spiritual path is, that's all you might need as long as you're doing it regularly, right? And for someone else who claims that they're very religious or spiritual, you know, are you in your active temple? Are you doing, participating, or are you just talking a good game? I really want you to sit and think right now. Evaluate. Some of the greatest moves in my life have been when people have shattered my denial. When they've said things or done things that have woken me up. When they've been so brutally honest with me about changes that I need to make. And many times in not loving ways, it didn't seem like at the time, right? And sometimes in very loving ways where that I finally got it and said, oh, my God, I thought I was living a healthy life. I thought I was living a spiritual life. I thought I was doing respecting. And then I'd look around and say, but my Lord, I'm not. And it's happened many, many times. I remember years ago after interviewing Maharishi Mahesh Yogi on my national radio show, who's the founder of Transcendental Meditation, And I was living on the beach, brand new Mercedes convertible, rocking the USA, just like we're doing now on radio. I think my first couple books had come out, and oh my Lord, on top of the world, interviewed Maharishi, one of the most immense interviews I'd ever done in my life. And one of his inner circle flew down to Florida to talk to me after the interview, just to sort of pick my brain. How did you think it went? And I told her, I said, it went fantastic. And she said, what do you remember from the interview? And I said, you know what? The only thing I remember is the unbelievable joy that Maharishi had on the show. And she looked at me and she said, you can only remember that, David, because you don't have any. And I left her. I left left my conversation with her. Three weeks later, I woke up to realize I was an alcoholic addict. And she was correct. All the materialistic things I had won in the world were nothing because I was not in joy. She snapped me out of denial. Isn't that amazing? 
You're tuned into America's Positive Radio Talk Show. TalkDavid.com is where you can find out more information on our guests and the archives of all of our shows. Thank you for being with us. Time to rock. More to come. I'm David Essel. Stay there.